part of it, what I love about design is changing the nature of the conversation as well and considering power paradigms and everything when we're well, what's, talking what's about. What's funny to me though is I just assume yeah. like all your design impact projects would involve a thing. None of them. Because you're designers. Like, I'm like, yeah. where's the pill bottle? Yeah, that's and that's where like it's it started that way because that's how like I was a, I was an industrial designer when we started and I drove some of the early space but we're working on systems ways of thinking mindsets behaviors and human centered design specifically is a powerful process for change. To humanize me with Barb Campolo. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. But before I do, I just want to encourage you that if you enjoy this show, either this episode or just in general, you like the show. At the end of this episode, go to iTunes, look up Humanize Me on iTunes and just rate the show. You don't even have to write a review, just, just hit the number because it turns out that the number of people that rate these shows has a lot to do with which shows get recommended when people are looking for a podcast about spirituality or a podcast about humanism or a podcast about you know positive living or whatever it is. And that means that by rating the show, you increase the chances that some unsuspecting stranger will stumble into our spider web of goodness. And uh, that would be a good thing because we, 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 it's, it's great for us if we have more listeners. It enables us to get more and better guests and all sorts of good things happening when we have new listeners. One of the things that happens when we get new listeners is then we get new people to sponsor the show on Patreon, which... I mention fairly often these days because it's turning out that lots of lovely people are going to Patreon and some of them are making humongous commitments, monthly commitments, you know, $20, $50, $100. But you know, there are a lot of people that are just putting up $1 or $5. And I, I sort of feel like when somebody puts up $5 a month, they're saying like, hey, I'm going to have a cup of coffee every month with Humanize Me. And... Uh, and that's beautiful because it means that you're connected to the show, but it also means that the show has a lot better chance of going forward and sort of developing some, some heft and some value. You know, you all know that one of my heroes is Mark Marin and his WTF podcast, which I think you know fairly reliably delivers really insightful conversations for me, but I know that it took him years to to get it down and we're, we're getting it down. And when you support it, the show on Patreon, you're sort of helping us get it down. And that's, uh, and it's beautiful. Hey, Teresa Diamond, who I went to high school with, who's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, I did notice that you have become a supporter of the show. And I just have to tell you, that's, it makes me so happy um, to have you on this team. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just feel like we're, we're, we, we should sing our Radnor High School alma mater or something like that. And you should get, put an elbow in the, in, in, in the ribs of your husband, Rick, 
and tell him he also should support the podcast because he needs this kind of positivity that we're putting out way more than you do. All right, now, one more thing before I, I bring you over to the, to the conversation, and that is I want to recommend a movie to you. And it's not a new movie. Um, I could talk about the last great movie I just saw because I did see the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And my goodness, I cried, I laughed. It was It's a beautiful movie and totally humanizing. So, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're on the fence on that movie, go for it. One of, the, one of the, for me, one of the real little benefits was a moment in which Mr. Rogers talks about the absolute value of every human being. Um, and he roots it in a person's ability to be loved or ability to elicit love. Like you're capable of being loved. And, and I think that's true of everyone, no matter how reprehensible somebody is, you know, maybe their mother loves them or maybe somebody who just loves lost causes loves them. But like we elicit love from other people and that ability to, to, to be somebody who somebody wants to save or somebody wants to care for or somebody wants to celebrate or somebody just wants to be in the presence of, that makes a person valuable regardless of what their economic or intellectual contributions to the species might be. And so I, I, I just think Mr. Rogers that was, was and is a, a, a great treasure. I mean, he, he intentionally made his show um, to stand up after he was gone. Um, which is a very humanistic thing to do, I think, to enjoy in the moment, imagining the thing you're doing in the moment having an impact in a future that you won't be part of. Um, so anyway, that, that's a great movie. But the movie I wanted to recommend is, is, is a little nothing movie on Netflix. It's not a nothing movie, but it's a movie that didn't make a lot of noise when it came out. It's called Safety Not Guaranteed. And it's, it's, it's a time travel movie but it's not really. It's really a relationship movie and a trust movie and a people connecting across barriers movie. And I'm not going to tell you too much about it, but I feel like Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know, these they're, they're huge, vast cornucopias of content, most of which is really not worth your time. And so I think one of the services that we can do for each other is when we find something that's good is to highlight it so that the next time a friend of ours goes on there and goes like, I don't know what to watch. They go, oh, wait, what was that thing Bart was talking about? Or what was that thing Joey was talking about? What was that thing, you know, Marianne was talking about? Today, it's safety not guaranteed. Um, I think you'll like it. All right. I think you're also going to like this conversation I'm going to have with Kate Hennessian and Ramsey Ford. Um, a married couple that I met at an actual dinner party. And they were so interesting, in, in, enjoyable, encouraging to me that when I came back to Cincinnati years later um, and was and, and with this podcast in hand, I thought, oh, now I know what to do with that wonderful couple that I got to know and felt so fortunate to get to know. I'm going to share them. And so this is me sharing. This is you overhearing um, the kind of conversation that I think really does humanize us. And so I, Kate and Ramsey are involved. They're designers. We talk about 
a whole way of thinking that is foreign to me or was foreign to me before I met them and has become precious to me and useful to me and helpful to me. And I hope it's the same for you. Kate Hannison, Ramsey Ford, and me, chopping it up. Here we go. You guys growing up in Cincinnati, did you both go to UC? Uh, no. I, I did, yeah. Ramsey went there from preschool on. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I have multiple degrees from UC. Inclu- I went there for preschool, undergraduate and graduate, and then I taught there. Okay, so you, you're, you're and a bearcat and through I, and, and through. I grew up in Clifton, so it's... Uh, yeah, all right. So. Just, just, Where'd you go to high school? Wanna Hills. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's where my son went. Yeah. Um, and then, did you go to Wanna Hills too? Yes, I did. Get up on the microphone. All right, I did. I went to Wanna Hills High School. I'm an, I'm an eagle from 1997. And is that where you met Ramsey? Uh, we knew each other, but we didn't hang out. Didn't hang out with the same group? No. No. But kind of, we were at a couple short parties together. There was a couple parties we think we both were at together. But no, we, we met after that through friends after college. And where did you go to college? Ohio University. Down there in and Athens, I Ohio? To, I got my master's at Xavier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, and so did you meet up after college or during yeah, college? after college. After college. Yep. And what were you, like, did, what did you study in college? Well, I studied uh, literature. I thought I was going to go into seminary. So I had a degree in uh, English literature and an undergrad in history, what is it called? A minor in history. And then um, quick background, I taught for, uh, I I lived abroad in New Zealand for a while doing youth development work um, with Maori folks. And then came back to Cincinnati and um, just became a teacher for four years in the West End in an alternative school model that I could go on about. and then worked for the Ohio Justice and Policy Center. Doing, Did you work for those guys? Yeah, yeah. For doing criminal justice reform work for four years before oh my gosh. starting Design Impact. That's David Singleton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I keep meaning to have a conversation with him. Oh, he's amazing. Because lo- Stephen Steven. is yeah, my yeah. buddy. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. You know, from way back. Yeah, yeah. Stephen's the best. Uh, and so, okay, so, so then you worked with them yeah so i mean the thread through all of that was social justice right. work like i had in college i'd lived and worked in kingston doing work with um kiddos there and really seeing poverty in a way i'd never quite understood it before and really looking at it from a systems level and then um yeah looking at i mean in maori rights like land reclamation for you know original peoples and original tribes i mean new zealand's really far along in that but and that I, was- I, I love i love social justice work in new zealand because it's like they're real issues and stuff, but like yeah. everybody's got a job. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so different. Oh my God. It's so different. I know. I could tell. Oh my god, um, going to the doctor yeah. there was like a fun experience. I know. I know. Um, really got interested in like systems change and yeah. the way our systems. And this is part of this back to this conversation around the way systems are designed from a power level that is completely removed or devoid of a deep understanding of what its people are feeling and how. And the systems are not designed that way. And so, how do we redesign systems? Yeah, that actually, and what's funny is like. The systems are not designed that way. Like, this is one of the things where I get, I, I'm starting to get more conservative in my thinking. It's like, oh, like, the systems aren't designed. They just emerged. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 like, sometimes when I'm talking with social justice people, yeah. they talk like, and then the evil rich people sat down and they drew it up this way yeah. so, that, so that poor people would never have a chance. <laughs> right. right. 
that's not how this stuff i mean people seek their best interest they're not necessarily thinking right about any i don't i mean i mean i I mean there are moments when that happens racially like redlining or something like that but in general these systems have emerged just in the in the cut and thrust of people trying to do the best for themselves i I don't disagree i think most people like have positive intentions primarily for their own family um yes uh, rather than like a broader community often Um, but like you know like corporations aren't made up of like thousands of evil people it's that they collectively contribute to systems where you know responsibility is so diffuse that no one has it and so then bad decisions are made Mm -hmm. but it is hard to read like i just read like the color of law it's hard to read books like that which is about the history of racial segregation in the united states post jim crow and it's really hard to read that book and not see very intentionally designed yeah. no, systems. No, and race is, race is another, like, race takes it to another level. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think when race stuff comes in, people actually do sit down and go, like, how do we keep these people out of our neighborhood? Absolutely. Or how do we keep these people down? But I think when it comes to socioeconomics, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's, it's not as clear cut as that. I think it is people yeah. look, doing what's best yeah. for them and their families. And and then when, it, when once corporations emerge, corporations don't have any grandchildren. They're not thinking about the future. Like right. the corporations end up working against the best interests not only of the rest of the world, right. but against the best interests of their own employees. Right. right. Yeah. Like they, they just they exist to serve yeah. some bizarre. Yeah. They take on a life of their own. Yeah. Well, it's I mean they, they people make the argument they exist to serve their shareholders, which yes. is often a major issue. Is that like kind of creating dividends for people who are investors versus higher salaries for employees. I mean, you know, like there's, yes. like that's a design, that is a, a design, design system a for wealthy people to stay wealthy, yes. driving inequity in our society. I mean, like those are, then, like those are clear, clear cut systems that yeah. have, that have been very intentionally designed, not, not to keep people down, but to keep people wealthy, which yeah, is the same thing. But like, like when, right. But when you think about like the, the origin of a limited liability comp corporation, mm-hmm was was actually in the early days when they first started emerging wasn't to keep anybody down or to protect it was so that people could try something yeah without risking right. their family because mm-hmm. if they tried something and like if they started a business and then like that business made a mistake right. their family would be wiped out so nobody yeah. like people weren't willing to take these big leaps yeah and so I hear what you're yeah. saying. I mean, I think whether the history of any of this, these power structures is emergent and accidental versus intentional doesn't change the fact that they're broken. And well, they're, they're, they're doing exactly the way they're dis- currently designed, whether again, that was emergent and accidental yeah, or it was an evil man. Unintelligent design. <laughs> well, it's just not working. I mean, it, it's, it's creating massive, massive inequity in our society. So what that means is that like, just as they were built, they can be rebuilt. They can be redone. Like, just like anything can be changed. So I feel like that's, that is what our work is about. It's funny. Like sometimes I think secular people, they love the idea of evolution when it comes to everything except people. Mm. That's what my son says. He's like, he's like liberals love the idea of evolution except when it comes to people. And then they're like, no, 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 all people are equal. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, (laughs) and, and I think sometimes they like the idea of evolution when it comes to everything except the emergence of oppression. And I go like, that evolved too. And, and you say, well, evolution, there's this implicit notion that it means progress, but it doesn't. It just means adapting to the situation, right. adapting to the situation. And so what I would say is like, 
these systems have evolved. Mm -hmm. They are emergent. Mm -hmm. And like, they don't, like, they're, they're not necessarily superior to alternatives. No. Right, exactly. I, I, I'm just saying like, they're just like, they adapted to the environment really well. Yeah. And they, and they proliferated. And so if you want to fight against them, that's great. And I'm like, I do too. I'm just like, the, when people sort of look at the people who are benefiting from a system yeah. and go like, you know what? They nefariously designed this system to yeah. destroy everybody else. I think there's a danger in that thinking. I understand. I agree. I, mean, I would never describe our work as to fight against the system. We work with systems leaders all the time. Um, I think it, I think it's about bridge building. I think it's about love. It's about mindset. It's about openness. It's about unpacking history and understanding our current role. It's about understanding our current power and the way we show up. It's almost it's like what we. With it's almost like what they're talking about doing scientifically, where they're saying like, evolution went on for millions of years with nobody understanding it or knowing what was going on. Now that we understand it, we're able to actually do some steering. Yeah, I think and you that's go, like, what it's about. Maybe that's what you're really talking about. Is like, yeah, that's a lot of this? what we're doing. Yeah, and how do we steer this directly from the voice of the people that haven't been heard and have just, even if it was accidental, but have not been part of any sort of power making over the, these systems that control their lives. So a way to sort of steer that is not that we have some sort of magic, we're puppeting people. It's that like we are giving a microphone to the people that are experiencing these issues. So essentially, if I'm like experiencing healthcare issues, if I'm experiencing poverty, if I'm experiencing being pushed out of my home, I think it's really important, for example, for developers to sit down with those people and hear those stories. So what we're trying to do is create essentially a pipeline of that. So how does power then get redistributed and shared based on the reality of the impacts that we are having on the ground? As told and as owned Stop by this table. Sorry, as told and as owned by the people that are actually the experts in the problem. Okay, so which is a roundabout way of you're going to tell me a little bit about where. Okay, so you're learning all this in the school and in Ohio Justice and policy, and you're you're learning about systems. Your you, oh. your 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 identity is emerging as a person who feels deeply about these issues and wants to address things on a systemic level. Yes. So how do we get to A, Ramsey, and B, to design impact? Well, I'm just super charming. So, <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that's, duh. Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, were you having a similar I mean, jaunt through life in the sense of, were you, were you developing a social consciousness? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and a desire to make a difference for other people. From a different, but with a very different experience and lens. I mean, I was always, I mean, I've, I've always liked art and drawing. And so I went into design school and I went to industrial design school up at UC. You, which um, is, is that the DAP thing? DAP school. Which is yeah. like this, people always call it, ooh, DAP. Like, yeah, no, no. It's totally. a really good program. I right? mean, people in Cincinnati, definitely. Like, you say DAP, they're like, damn. You know, and everywhere else, they're like, "What is what is that? Is that a, a building material? I don't know what that is." Right. You know, but um, but it's nice and people. But it is it's a, a well very, respected, very respected school. school. Yeah, it's a great school. I learned a ton. Um, it's a really neat. The co-op program puts you in professional positions in different cities around the country. Um, so you kind of grow up really quickly because you're finding housing, you're securing jobs, you're you know you're doing all of these different things that most college students are not doing. Um, at that point in their life, at least not like on a regular basis. Um, and then did you go right on to graduate school? No, I, um, so I graduated, I, I went into the industrial design because I wanted to make a change. And the idea behind product development and design is that you develop products that 
impact people's lives and make their lives better. Um, and so, and when you're in school, you, you start to see that that's, there's parts of that that are true, but largely that's not the main thrust of, mm-hmm. you know, what industrial design is, is really all about. Um, in terms of how it's actually articulated and what the jobs actually are. But um, I went, you know, after school, needed to get a job, went up to uh, Massachusetts and was, you know, basically got a job at a small consulting firm that did, you know, sporting good design and like uh, design for MIT startups and a bunch of really cool stuff. Enjoyed that time. Were you actually designing things? Yeah. Yeah. Like what would be a thing that you designed? I So things like I've designed Burton snowboard helmets. Um, I've designed, you know, electronic, you know, like wireless electronic devices. I've designed, you know, the like Swiffers. I mean, like, really? You know, like, if you use a Swiffer or Tide Pods, I was not like the person who designed right, no that. One that's a, that's a group. Yeah. But like, those are, those were, okay. Designs that were heavily influenced by, yeah. by your sketches. Yeah. So we Look don't have to get you, into the whole Tide Pods thing or anything. But, Swiffer. You know, I'm going to think of that every time. Every time. Just see my smiling face on <laughs> the clean floor. You know? <laughs> so, how long, so how long were you out there before you decided you wanted to go back to school? Um, well, I went, I was in, I met Kate, um, like while being back in Cincinnati, like while, you know, while living in Massachusetts, visiting family, basically, or right before I went, sorry, no, sorry, right before I'm going to mess that story. It was not the long story of how we met and that whole thing, but we basically met right about the same time I was going to Boston. And so I was only there for two years. Met at a party? Uh, we met some friends of ours. Um, I had a friend growing up, um, a kid had a friend growing up and from college, that were dating they went to italy they came back to show people their slides we were the only two people that showed up they were tired they fell asleep at nine i only had a bike so kate gave me a ride home but it was early so we decided to go have a drink and we just like had a really great yeah chemistry and yeah. then the next day i was leaving to go to boston okay and so yeah so we i wanted learners. yeah so i wanted because yeah, you guys have real chemistry oh i mean don't you feel that yeah i'm like i i i, I mean no because like I mean, it's funny. I was sitting on the couch with Marty this yeah. today, and I had this weird thing where I was like, "I've been married to this woman for like 31 years." She comes out for breakfast, and I'm reading my book, and I, I think like, she'll feel better if I look up and say, you know, and greet her and say, "Good morning." And so like, I do that because like, yeah, I yeah. like to see her, and she does. She smiles at me, and she comes over, sits down, and, and you know, I just thought to myself like, I still am just you know, I. She walks into a room, I. I like I'm still excited to see her and mm-hmm. want to say something that'll get her attention and yeah 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 and so yeah. And, and I you know I mean I'm around a lot of married couples and some of them like they're fine yeah but then some of them have real chemistry and like I yeah. always like I've only been with you guys like two or three times but like I always feel like you have strong yeah, chemistry yeah thanks for saying I mean yeah we we got a good thing going yeah. I like to say that right and so like I'm not surprised when you say like yeah first we're we're at that slideshow yeah and we we're like yeah let's go get that drink yeah, yeah we did and. Yeah, and I, and I remember that night, you know, we had such a good time, but Rams was moving the next day. And so, you know, he, we were like, well, we should stay in touch. And he said, um, here's my email. And at that time in my life, I was anti-technology. I went through like a serious anti-technology. Yeah. yeah. So I refused to email, but I said, here's my address. So we wrote letters for a year and a half, two years. Um and it was great. I mean, R- Ramsey is so creative. So I we have all those letters saved. But he would draw a lot of pictures and stuff. And so that was lovely. And we would, yeah, we had a long distance relationship for quite some time. Got to know each other through that slowly as friends and then started dating. But 
Wow. Yeah. I, you just reminded me. I, I, I heard this podcast recently. Um, it might have been This American Life it was somewhere. I can't remember what it was. But where this guy found a suitcase full of love letters from an artist to, and, and they were, there were drawings all over them. <laughs> and he went and he tried to track, there, there's, cool. a, there's actually a podcast where like they try to track things down yeah. and they yeah. tracked down the woman and they, they, they found out about both sides of this affair that had yeah. ended. And, but like, she, oh, yeah. you know, but, but he was like, these letters were just gorgeous because yeah. they were written by somebody who was into making things pretty. It was fun to yeah. create for each other as a way as a way of loving, as a way of learning yeah. one another through creation and writing and drawing and we would... Making music. Yeah, yeah. Just making things for one another. Now, so. we, were either of you overtly Christian by that time in your life? No, I was done. Yeah, no. I would, Ramsey yeah. never has been. He was raised in... I don't mean to speak for you, but... I was raised Presbyterian, but I did not carry... I never have carried a strong faith. You never and, bought it. And then pretty much at 18, mm -hmm. I was pretty much done. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so this was just pure like we got chemistry and 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 this worked. Yeah, this worked yeah, this us. it worked really well relationally. Like, I guess I always thought love was supposed to be hard. Like you know, like all these love songs were like you know I need you but you hurt me yeah. but you're whatever you know. And then I just it was there was nothing and every relationship I'd had before that had been difficult in some way or something and. Yeah, was, it just wasn't difficult between us at all, mm -hmm. and it still isn't. We, I mean, we argue. Oh, sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know what's, <laughs> you know what's interesting? I was with a young dude the mm -hmm. other day. You know, a guy I was sort of mentoring, and he's he's got this girl that he's been seeing off and on for five years, mm -hmm. and he's deeply insecure in the relationship. Like he's yeah. he's just not sure how she feels about him, right? Yep, and. And 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 she, it, it debilitates him and and on your yeah. mind. So so he says to her. So so at one point we're talking. He goes like, but he said it's my fault. He said because I've talked to her and I've told her like, this is how I feel. And she she lists off all the things that she's done that should make me feel secure. Hmm. And I was like, dude, that's not it how it doesn't works. matter yeah. what she's done. Like, communication isn't what I say; it's what you hear. Yeah. And so, it, like. I'm not saying it's her fault, but yeah. I'm saying the fact is you don't feel confident in yourself in that relationship, and that's why you should dump her. Yes, and, 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 well, and, I'm with you. And, you know, and, and it's funny things, but, but it's like, short. but she's like, she, she hasn't done anything wrong, and I'm like, yeah. it doesn't matter. You don't she, feel good. This yeah. is your one and only yeah. precious life. Yeah. like this is it. That's it. Yeah. And, and so chemistry to me, one of the things that defines it is you get with somebody. And you're never worried whether or not they like you. Yeah. You know they like you. Right. They, they let whatever right. they let you know. Like, look. Yeah. Like, there may be a lot of other issues we have, right. but, but I I think you're great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and when I you know and I got with Marty, you know, people said like, what you know, isn't isn't love hard or painful? And I go like, what's all that pain is like? Do you really love me? Will you really leave me? Yeah. Are, will you be faithful to me? And I have had that. Yeah. With people I was very attracted to, but I never knew where I stood. And I thought that that insecurity yeah. was love. Yeah. Oh, right. That, that intensity of, means. right. I used to think that. I'm laying awake. I mean. Where are we? Where like, are we? I need this. Yeah. This is so, this is, yeah. My psyche's all into it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Now I completely agree. And it sounds like, you know, in, in this relationship, you sort of like, oh, wait, like there's this other thing that might be love. And that is where you never really worry. Just, where you I stand with the understood. other person. Yeah. yeah, I feel seen and understood and known. Yeah. And that is that feels 
good. So same here. <laughs> so, that, so then, did you come back and go to grad school then? Uh, no, I came back and I I didn't have a job. I mean, I rode a motorcycle across country because you know. Yeah, you wanted to be cool. What are you, you going to do? Yeah. But the um, but then um, yeah, I came back and I worked. I found freelance work. Um, I worked as an adjunct professor. I had a with an undergraduate degree. Dude, it's it's dap. It's amazing. He invented stuff. I made. I started some small businesses um, around like travel pill containers and stuff. And I had a you know. regular cartoon series. I was As one random. does. Dude, yeah. you're like in your you 20s and you have series, like zero yeah. responsibility. You don't need a lot of money and you have energy and you your partner is wait, working you make, seven to five. You made a cartoon series? Yeah. Oh, like, 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 like. It was a weekly um, like art piece. It was a friend of mine. We were, uh, that was from Cincinnati. He was also living up in Boston and we started doing, um, he would write pieces and then I would illustrate them. Okay. Um, they were all about being in your mid twenties. Um, that was there. No, I, yeah, it was fun. I'm working with a guy right now who's an animator on creating. I guess the best the best pitch line I would give you would be it's like a humanist version of Veggie Tales, <laughs> in the sense of like there are all these kids between three and eight that need to be sort of inundated with moral teaching. Yeah. But but like. Yeah. Moral teaching that's not grounded in yeah. Yeah. God will God's bigger than the boogeyman. Yeah. He'll take care of everything for you. Yeah, right. Um and mm. so what are the messages that a three to eight year old needs to get? Oh, that's awesome. And how do we create like little three to five minute videos and songs? That's awesome. You mm. should keep doing that. Yeah. That is and of course I, I, I know no creativity. I just like I'm yeah. excited about yeah. making things that oh, will yeah. help people raise their kids. Yes. In beautiful yeah. ways. Yes. So okay, so you're you're doing all this cool, clever, creative stuff, and you're date. Are you are you date, dating? Yeah, people? we were living. We just immediately moved in together. Okay. Yeah. So, which was cool. Yeah. It was yeah. not. It was one of those weird things where you're like, this should be scary, and it was like scary, but then yeah. it was immediately like, this is just really normal. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. but yeah, no, I basically worked a bunch of different pieces. Was interested in becoming a professor. Dap there, like if you actually want to do beyond adjuncting, you would need a. a a degree so you could you know yeah. you should get a degree here and so i got a full ride it was awesome and started studying that um and that was roughly the same time that we started having these really like kind of like big conversations about what we were doing with our lives and that intersection of i was wanting to do more social impact work through design i thought there was avenues for that um, we starting to experiment with that on the outside and, you know, Kate was starting to understand what design was as kind of like a, a change process and saw the potential yeah. for it to have impact in social sector work. And so when I went back to get that master's degree, I studied the intersection of design and social change, specifically how like a human centered design process relates to a community organizing process. Um, if okay. That makes sense. That's and, that was. Yeah, and I now, now human centered design process. Yeah. Like. I'm just, I'm going to, yeah. I, I know one right, yeah. design impact project. Okay. It had to do with these little cook stoves. Right. And that was 10 years ago. Now. Okay. It, but yeah. like, maybe that's not the best case study, but like, can you tell me one human centered, like, cause the design yeah. impact is basically a group of people mm -hmm. that, well, yeah. that in a sense, find a group of people that have some kind of a social need. Mm -hmm. or problem social problem mm -hmm. and address it through design right yeah could you just 
explain yeah. one of those if the if the if the stove isn't the right one what's a better one yeah so no like so we um so we did our first four years uh working in india primarily from kind of like a first a social enterprise angle and then we ran an international fellowship for designers to work deeply with community organizations on a variety of social change projects um after about four years, we, for a lot of reasons, we pivoted to a more U.S.-based model that was more kind of like shorter-term engagements instead of like multi-year engagements uh, with nonprofits. And so we would do projects. And one of the projects we were working on like in the very first couple of years was with um, a couple of organizations in northern Kentucky who were working in a low-income community um, uh, City Heights. called City Heights, which was basically on a hill in Covington, Kentucky, and it had like one road in, one road out, and then just you can look at it from you know a, a Google Maps, and it's just surrounded by trees, and there's not any amenities up in the neighborhood really, and so the the enrollment in Head Start, which is like an early education program um, that has a lot of like ties to you know increasing educational outcomes throughout a student's life if they're enrolled in the early Head Start three and four year olds. Um, we're really low from that neighborhood and the organizations were having a really hard time getting people to actually like get their kids into those classes. And when we started working with them, they said, Hey, the, the issue is transportation. Look at this place. It is isolated, you know, and what we should really do is because the Head Start program's not up there. It's not, not up there. there it's right. down, it's down the hill. Okay. And so it was like, Hey, the, the issue is transportation. We know that's the issue. We, can you help us innovate on ways to transport people, you know? And we, you know, kind of like human-centered design, like the basic premise is let's start by talking to people uh, that are actually experiencing the, the problem. problem, you know. So we said, like, let's go talk to people. And they said, well, you know, here's the problem with that is that we kind of, they were like basically the housing organization. If we show up and try to talk to people, they're going to say, they're not really going to talk to us or tell us like what we think we need to hear. Are these guys Appalachian up there? Uh, no, I think it's primarily African American community. Okay, um, but they they felt like they wouldn't talk to they had a housing authority. Yeah, it's their yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like your landlord shows up with a clipboard, and you're like, yeah, I'm not here. I'm not here. You know. <laughs> and so we said, you know, so so like you know, so there, so there was a hurdle, and then one of the other premises of human centered design is to like take kind of divergent or creative approaches. And so we said, well, if if your landlord showed up, would you want to talk to them? And it's like, well, no. So what do you what would bring you out of your house in your own neighborhood? And they're like, well, what if we did something fun like had a bubble truck. And so like one of them had a, a bubble machine that we just put it in a minivan and opened the door and they drove around the neighborhood spewing bubbles out of a minivan. Music. And they, yeah. they had Head Start teachers in the minivan and they would stop and then the kids would come out and be like, what is going on with this minivan? They had little like 10 cent bottles of bubbles and they said, I will give you this bottle of bubble. Can you bring your mom or dad out here to talk to us or yeah. caregiver? And so, you know, you people are coming out of their houses, they're talking, and they're just having a conversation. And that's... It's not that's, a survey. It's not a survey. It's not like an interview. It's just like we're talking about what's going on, what Head Start is, and do they, do they know about it? And they did that for just an afternoon. They came away with this, this one insight, which was that a lot of the parents thought that Head Start meant school. School meant desks. And when they looked at a three-year-old, they're like, my kid's not old enough to sit at a desk all day. And the thing is, Head Start's not about desks. It's about it's about learning through play. You know, there aren't. They just literally didn't know what what, no, what it would look like. Yeah. And why would you? School. And why would like you? School. Yeah. And so then the problem became like, all right, well then, how do we like 
show people what this is. And so the the third kind of really strong, powerful part of human-centered design after like empathy, creativity is, you know, iteration, trying things out. Like not just saying, okay, now we have the solution, let's go. But like, let's do a little test of that solution. Mm. And so they wanted to bring a Head Start classroom to um, to City Heights to kind of show what it was like, like viscerally show it. And so they had like a, a well, they, they, met, they did their first prototype was putting it in the gym because it's inside. Um, and it was a beautiful day and no one showed up, you know. And so they then came back and said they got some a donated like petting zoo and like a bounce house. They spent a couple hundred bucks and they had a festival for the community one day with a Head Start room set up. And, and outside. outside, outside, like li- did they like literally like build a like platform? Build a no, they just they just put like no, blankets talking, out. Prototypes like low fidelity. Yeah, like super, yeah. just like super like low. But they just had actual teachers there doing things they would actually do in class. And parents came up, thought it was just another part of the fair, and they were like, "This is Head Start. This is what your kid would be doing in Head Start." And within a month, they had tripled enrollment. And then they maintain that enrollment for the next few years. And we haven't we haven't done a longitudinal beyond that. But that's the kind of thing where like starting with users. So what about yeah. the transportation? Well, that's, in- that's to me is arguably the most interesting part of the story is that like this is what I mean about people in larger systems or organizations being disconnected from what the actual issues are. They were about to write a large grant to fund a bus. Buses, yeah. And this is what we do in our sector. Now, this is not an innovation in business. You know, your iPhone or whatever knows what you already want because people really, really studied you and what you might want. And that, then we give that dignity to consumers around Tide Pods and Swiffers and iPhones, but we don't give. You don't, that. don't be putting down Tide Pods and Swiffers. They're great. Yeah. I have the, I have both. I have all those things. But the point is that, like, you know, we don't often just listen, sit and listen to people that are experiencing the problem. We assume we know, and this comes from the Judeo-Christian paradigm to bring it all back, which is that like, these are the poor and they must be helped. I must know how to help them. Because, you know, this sort of idea of like, yeah, if help they, the if poor, they, yeah, if they knew, they save wouldn't be poor. the poor. Right, right. If I just help them, right? They That's all they need is my help versus like, no, like I need to change my fucking system. Sorry, I'm a... But you know what I mean? That's like putting them in that. And I need to deeply understand what it's like to be them in order to understand how they got there in order to understand how together we can co-create a new future. And that's the difference. So, And this is how so many of our social service dollars, our grant dollars, our donation dollars are spent from false assumptions that we know what people are experiencing, that we know what their actual problems are. And that to me is the most exciting part about Yeah, the so there was no transportation. That wasn't, that wasn't the, the issue. issue. These families were going to get groceries. They were going down off the hill for other reasons. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Transportation is a, is hard there. You know, that's real. Right. And they had to be fair. I mean, and I don't mean to make this organization sound this is this is true across the board. They had done a survey. You know, people, you know, they'd done a little survey and people said, "Yeah, like transportation, we could use some transportation." So, I think this is part of it, what I love about design is changing the nature of the conversation as well and considering power paradigms and everything when we're well, what's, talking what's about. What's funny to me though is I just assume you know, like all your design impact projects would involve a thing. None of them do. Because you're designers. Like I'm like, yeah. "Where's the pill bottle?" Yeah, that's and that's where like it's it started that way because that's how like I was a, I was an industrial designer when we started and I drove some of the early space but we started learning that you know especially in the US like products aren't the solution like we're working on systems ways of thinking mindsets behaviors and and that design human centered design specifically is a powerful process for change yeah and but you are you're literally designing processes you're designing systems and services. like like 
like forms of communication. Yes. Like yes. you might design a conversation yes. that a receptionist would have with somebody when they're yes. walking up to it. Exactly. Like, like mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's, it's literally like, it's so funny because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my own work as a community builder. Yeah. yeah. And really my biggest gripe when I go into most meetings, um, like group meetings, is I'm like, nobody's thought this thing through. Yes. Like, why isn't the music bef- like why, right after I give a talk? Why do then they go to announcements? Like nobody's going to be able to think about what I just said. That's the time when they should do the musical interlude. Yes. Give people a minute to think. Just give them a minute to land the talk. Dude, everything's a design problem if you start paying attention. Yeah. One of the things I like to say is like, because you've ever been lost in a parking garage and not known where your car was, that's a design problem. Like that's a that's not your fault. You know, if you're unhappy or don't feel engaged in an experience, that's the design of the experience. You know what I mean? So, so I think like there's a lot of power in so here's seeing the, the world that way. Most of the people that like, like, first of all, I, I, is Design Impact still a nonprofit organization? Yep, we are. Okay. And, and do you live off donations? No. So um, the way we work is that foundations, schools, hospitals, community groups, government agencies hire us. Essentially, essentially, it works like a consulting firm would work. Yeah, but it's what... just that the dollars, we don't take any profit from it right. personally. So the dollars just get reinvested back into the organization. But it's so it's called fee for service. It's technical shit. But anyway, a lot of not. I mean, if you think about it, schools are nonprofits, hospitals are nonprofits. Yeah. They get gov- funding comes from all different ways. No, we get when grants. You, yeah, when you put it in the cons- when you say like we consult with people, like yeah. somebody, a nonprofit, a, an organization has a problem. And they bring us in because we're really good at designing yeah. solutions. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and human-centered design. Yeah. And so when you, like these, you say you have like 10 or 12 people working mm-hmm. with you now. And they're designers. Like you have a team of designers. No, so part of that, going back to like kind of that, that space that space in between the special sauce is um, we started as I was a designer and Kate brought a social justice perspective. Now we believe that everybody is a designer and everybody can learn some design principles and ways of working to make their work stronger. Um, and our team reflects that in that like we've, we have, you know, probably including myself, four people that are like formally designers and then, you know, six yeah. people, another people that are kind of in between, and but we then fall in, like the creatives category. Yeah. But then we have, so we have people that are like come from a creative background and people come from like a social change background. So we have a team that has, PhD ethnographers, evaluators, community organizers, community development specialists, education specialists. Okay, so people that know how to go in and actually talk to the people and figure out how to... Well, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also that like sometimes designers, sort of trained designers, I mean, design historically comes out of the corporate space. And so um, I think designers that drop into, this is sort of that same Judeo-Christian thing to assume that like, oh, just I studied design, I worked in corporations for years, but all of a sudden I can drop into complex social change work and deeply understand all the things that are happening. And what you have there is a lot of sort of misintended work that doesn't really stick. And so for us, it's really important that this, everything we do in our work is deeply rooted in historical context of understanding racism, of understanding things. I mean, we have folks understand trauma and like how that affects people so that when we design, we are sensitive to trauma. We have people that deeply understand economic development and displacement so that when we're working in neighborhoods, we have that lens. If we had just hired all designers, they wouldn't understand no. that. So what you have is you make a lot of errors that way. So that's, and that, that is what you ask 
asked what our special sauce is, and I would say it's that. And it's multidisciplinary. So we have, I mean, I lo- we are always learning from each other. Human-centered design, I would say, is like 50% of the root of what we do. But like we bring in so many other change processes, so many other concepts and ideas into our work based on whatever that project needs. So it's all very customized for that specific situation. Yeah. I mean, sound, I mean it's funny. Like it's, it, the, I don't know if you even know that my podcast has a title. What is the title? It's of called Humanize Me. Oh, oh. Look at it. Get it. I knew that. Um, yeah. He didn't tell me. No, it's funny. It's funny. I, I, I would love to know how many of the guests on my podcast have ever listened to an episode. That would be a fascinating statistic for me. Sorry. Um, no, yeah. no, there's no, and there's no yeah. reason why you should. But yeah. since I'm guessing you haven't, this is what I wanted to tell you is, is that the theme of the show or the thesis of the show, if you will, at least from my perspective is, is that because of my weird life, yeah. I know a lot of people I encounter a lot of people doing really cool stuff. Like yeah. when I was in LA, you know, astrophysicists, yeah. and, you know, and, and restaurant owners and stuff, for, you know, heavy duty photographers. And I, my, and so I would talk with, I, I would have these neat conversations. And of course, what I'm always trying to draw out is, what can I learn from this person that will enable me to build better relationships? Yeah. That will enable me to make the world better for other people. That will enable me to just even just to appreciate the world around me more, mm-hmm. you know. Because to me, that's like those are my. Since I only have one life, yeah, I, mm-hmm. those are the things I want to do. Yes, it's a wonderful thing. And yeah. so and so so whenever I talk to somebody like you guys, that's like my the, in the back of my mind, I'm going like, okay, design. Like, is there a way that somebody like me, who's not, yeah. you know, and I go like. What you're really saying is, is, hey, we think really carefully about how things are working yeah, and try to figure out how to make them work better yeah, and try to help people do that. And like, I'm, I'm sort of thinking like some of the stuff would be very applicable to like a mom where she would go like, I'm having a problem with my kid. The kids are just, they leave the toothpaste all over the sink. Yeah. And, and you go like, okay, now your thought is like, I know better, but I'm guessing like, a human-centered design approach to that might be different yeah. than just yelling at the kid do? and saying, right. put the toothpaste I mean, yeah. away. I mean, it's different in the same. I think sometimes, there's a lot of times where you're reading things and people aren't in any way framing what they're doing as human-centered design, mm-hmm. but you know, but it resonates. So, you know, read a parenting book. I don't read a lot of parenting books. Mm. Do you have kids? my own sanity. We yeah. have a child. Um, how old are you? How old is your a he's, child? He's almost two. Okay. Wow, that yeah. happened while I was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, he's awesome. But one of the one of the books was about like you know it, we're, it was like you know with the, the the twos and the threes and they start having attitude and stuff and you know they're screaming about stuff and it often creates this conflict. But the book was all about you know basically like holding the mirror up to yourself and looking at what's frustrating you and then trying to understand where that where that individual child is coming from. And like when we would, if I were talking about that, that's a human centered design concept. But it's not. It's just. It's just actually That's what being. You're about. Yeah, it's just being with other people and like not being totally self-centered when you know and like when you know, there's a problem. Yeah. When there's a problem, you know, and like, but like that's the thing. It's like it's that's like one of those key things. Yeah, so I feel like so human-centered designers so, claim that. Right? So we yeah. yeah, and sometimes you'll meet human-centered designers that see everything as human-centered design, and I think we we believe that there's power in the process, but that it doesn't have like you shouldn't stamp everything with that because it. It really, 
but okay, so, so, but like, yeah, interesting. You know. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, what would you guys say, like, to me, like, if you if you were gonna say, like, if there's something that I always, I give us, a, can you think of? I've got so what? much advice that I want to give you. I just, you know, we've only been here right. for. You know. I know you just look. You're, you're looking at my shitty <laughs> right. studio, and you're like, you, you yeah. could do so you much could better. Try, honestly, no, uh, no, no, but like, <laughs> what is it? Like, I guess. Like I know what you're doing when you're doing your cons- now I know what you're doing when you're yeah, doing your consulting work. Yeah, thanks for asking work. about it, by the way. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I mean, like I find it really. In- I mean, it's it's a it's a very cool kind of work, and I can imagine somebody, some of the young people that I work with who are in- yeah. studying, sort of going like, "Oh, now that would be something." Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was this woman um, in, in my community, Jessica, who applied to work for you guys. Oh, mm. cool. Um, because she was like, they are like they're doing with design. The one thing I care about, oh, yeah. which is That's actually cool. applying it to the business of making life better for people who yeah. a lot of people, other people overlook. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so so I, so I get that part of it, and I and I go like one thing I could learn is like I should support that kind of work. But I guess what I'm wondering is is that in in my life, like I'm not a designer, and I'm not in social justice consulting. But I am in the world, and I sort of think like there's something that you guys have learned in your work over the last six, eight nine years? years, nine years, almost nine years. Time, time, yeah. yeah, over the last decade, there's something you've learned, or there's a lot of things you've learned. I'm sure, but like if you said like this is the the kind of the key thing that we wish the rest of the world knew. There's something we figured out that like this is something like that that other people ought to know. And maybe that's too broad a question. No. But. Yeah. I mean, we, we probably have, I would assume we have some different thoughts on this. No, I've never been asked know. that exact question. I'm thinking about it. And the way that I'm, the way I'm processing that question is, you know, like what, if, what is like, if, if I was going to take one thing away from kind of like our practice, our change practice, like what would be the thing that mm-hmm. I would want to share with other people or yeah. think is most profound about mm-hmm. it? And I think for, for me, it's really about, just like sitting in discomfort. Mm. So allowing yourself to recognize that the solutions aren't always obvious, um, that they're not straightforward, that you can't immediately fix things and that you've got to kind of, you know, hold that problem space, you know, hold like what's wrong and look at it. And whether that's like, with patience and observation, whether that's through kind of, you know, person to person connection and discussion, whether that's through trying things out and being comfortable with failure, but like holding that ambiguity and that discomfort in that space for as long as you can until you figure out like what the best way forward is, is, uh, wow. Is a thing. I I, I can't tell you how disheartening that is to me. (laughs) Um, just in, in in my own personality, like oh. it, it sounds exactly right. Yeah, but it may. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. counter to the it way I hard. am. Like people call, like I like my. I'm such a fixer. Yeah. And I'm such, a, and, I'm, and I'm so convinced Part of that's that I'm being a preacher's kid too. I think there's a relationship. To and that. I'm so convinced I'm smarter than everybody. Yeah. That somebody starts to, they're halfway through telling me the problem. Like, okay, here's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I I gave a talk the other night at our fellowship because like I give this little like 10 minute and we were talking about how we can support each other mm-hmm. um you know because you're in new fellowships so you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out like when somebody tells you their problem 
Yeah. What do you do? And I did some research on like, what are ways to help people in a group? And one of the thing, one of the things that kept coming through in all the psychological research was listen. Yeah. But don't fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it talked about all the values that all the things that happen when somebody listens and they validate and they yeah. do this stuff. But they said that when you offer advice, yeah. it tends to it tends to send a message to a person. Number one is that you that you think they're think, incapable. Think they're th- that you that you don't think they're competent. Yeah. And the other thing is is that you kind of that you think you are. Yeah. And that that puts people right on the defensive. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. I do this all the time. Yeah. And, and it's funny, one of the people in the group said to me, like, look, I know you're feeling bad. They're like, people do ask you for advice. So yeah, like, yeah, that's uh, like, people want that. You sometimes. are a little off totally. the hook there sometimes. Yeah, but, but it's said, the nature yeah, of pastoral I mean, I do it. I do it on the bus. Yeah. I, yeah. And so when you say that, like, to, like, you've learned that there's something profoundly valuable about sitting with the discomfort. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you're not, what you're saying is like, listen. Like yeah. engage the problem. Like don't don't withdraw. Yeah. But you actually have to climb into somebody else's problem and just be uncomfortable with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that is that? I mean, I'm does, looking at you. Yeah. Is, does that come naturally to you? In a way, it doesn't to me. Yeah. Kate, you're shaking your head. Yes. Kate. Kate sorry. Kate probably knows me better than I do to a certain degree. <laughs> One of my self reflection is not my greatest strength. You know. Well, so. no. What. I mean, what were you shaking your but, head? But, well, but sitting you, with other people's problems maybe is. I mean, Ramsey yeah. can look at much more painful art than I can, or painful shows than I can, or I think you have you have this sort of like healthy emotional separation, not in a way that makes you at all like unable to feel or unable mm-hmm. to be empathic or emote or anything. But um, you can sit in discomfort. I think it's something beautiful about you. I think you can sit in discomfort in a way, and you have a, an innate patience. You have deep patience. And I think that that is incredibly helpful. And innate positivity, not like shiny, happy, sunshiny positivity, but like belief that in that waiting, there is goodness coming. And I I think you have that inherently. I don't know that he is. I don't think it was drilled into him by the Bible or his parents. How about you? Have you developed? It's much harder for me. Has it gotten better though? Oh, yes. Yes. That's one of the things I love about being married to Ramsey and the design process inherently. I think one of the things that I had a hard time with in the social justice space is very much right or wrong, them and us. And what I've been, I've loved is found beautiful about the the design process and the work that we've had the opportunity to do is that it's about being with, and that's different than anti, Yeah. you know, and how that being with people. But yes, it's harder for me to sit in that. I, I you know, was raised by a fixer. Um, and want and you have this drive to make the driven to to it, to make the world a better place. But this shit's really hard and really complicated, and we obviously aren't gonna. Well, the reason why I ask you if you've gotten better at it is because, like, I gave this talk on Sunday. Yeah. Today is Friday. Yeah. I've been better this week. Yeah. Right. No, I'm way better at it. <laughs> like, I'm still struggle with it. Just because yeah, I no, became no. aware of it, and I was like, okay, try to listen. Yeah. And don't fix. Yeah. Um. That and, and, like that. And, and and the thing is, like, it's not that I don't want to fix down the line. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, yeah. you're a fixer. Well, but then that would just to throw that back over over too. I think that I can sit for a long time. And just enjoy the process. And I think that's one of the strengths mm-hmm. and the balances is that 
Kate is really good at making decisions and and like with confidence, with integrity, and moving things forward. And so once again, getting that balance, like understanding like when do we sit, when do we move, and you know Mm -hmm. that's definitely like moving is not like my primary strength. (laughs) But like, but that you know, but that's like, but like where like where where Kate might have like a more discomfort in that kind of like patience. Yeah. I yeah. think when it comes to action, there's a lot of power in that, which is like, which is essential yeah. for actually getting getting it done. So I wanted to ask. I know you were saying that like part of the reason you started this whole podcast is to deeply understand what it means to be a better human and what you can learn from other people about that. And you asked us what has taught us in our process about that. I'd just be really curious. I mean, you've lived a fascinating life. I know p- bits and pieces of it, but what? Is that for you? What is that thing for you that sort of you've learned in that journey or even in this particular, this humanist journey that's made you be a better human? You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's funny. That's easy for me. I've reflected yeah. on that one a lot. And I like I only have one, you know, that Abraham Maslow once said, mm-hmm. if the only tool you have is a hammer, pretty soon every problem will begin to look like a nail. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. I only have one. I only have one tool. Mm. Like there's this one thing I do really well and that I picked up on when I was a, I, like 15 years old and yeah. joined my first youth group, got led to Jesus. And uh, and the first youth pastor I had, I was talking about this with somebody just the other day. Because somebody was sort of asking me like, how did you get this way? Like, what? Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I was 15 years old. This guy had me and my five friends come to Bible study every week. And we were in this youth group and over the, I I hadn't been in that youth group for six months and he pulled me aside and he's like, look, people, they do what you want them to do. Like people, they follow you. Like this is, he's like, you can make a party better or you can make it worse. You can make it a safe space for everybody or you can make it just work for you. He's like, you, you. You know, and like we went on this youth retreat and I was being an asshole. Mm. And he pulled me aside halfway through and he said, he said, you think you're just being cool or being, and he's like, you're ruining it for 150 kids. Mm. He said, if you changed your attitude, you would be shocked at what will happen here. Like you're acting like nothing is good enough. Nothing is cool enough. He's like, if you embraced the stuff that we were doing, it would change it. And I did, and it did. Yeah. And I was like, oh, snap. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so the one thing I figured out was, is that things don't, like relationships and groups, but also in one-on-one relationships, that you can steer them if you're intentional. Mm. And so I know so many people that are like, my relationship with my kid isn't want what they want, what I want it to be. And they act as though like they're helpless. And that's it. Like yeah. that. That mm. this is just the, the, the what happened between us, or my marriage. That like we don't it, it we is, don't talk anymore, yeah. or whatever it is. And I'm sort of like, you know what? You can shape a conversation. You can shape a relationship. You can shape a community. You can like intentionality. And so yeah. like, if somebody said, to me, totally "What's the one thing that you have learned in your life?" I'm like. Good relationships don't just happen. Mm-hmm. You ha- like, and, and people always talk about work. Yeah. I don't even like to call it work because it's not necessarily always like drudgery or, or pain. Right. 
It's just, you have to be intentional. Right. You have to get up in the morning and think, where's my relationship with my kid at right now? Yes, exactly. What, what's what's going on with her? Yeah. What could I do? Yeah. You to know, be like, in better relationship. Like, 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 like yeah. And you might no, pick absolutely. up a book. You might go like, yeah, I don't listen well enough. I wonder if there are any books out there on listening. And I like, go get a book on listening. School. Yeah. Like, you read it and you're like, I'm going to try some of this stuff out. And yeah. What did you say? Iteration. Yeah. You try this, you try And I was like, why are people just accepting yeah. life as it comes to them? This is, yes. This is <laughs> deeply related to design. This is what it says. It's like you have a, you have a, you, you are the designer of your own life. Yeah, you can shape yes. this thing. You can shape this thing. And yes, and getting people to see that in their own their own selves, um, and that we don't need necessarily systems to do it for us. That if our systems just listen to those people, it's the same thing. It's and like and that the systems people can solve for themselves if the right eco environment is created for them to to see that within themselves, and that that and that that's actually going to happen. And that comes back to the whole thing where I, I get I get nervous when people start to talk about the evil system that's designed. And I know evil, what you're you know, saying, with but that because stuff, the thing yeah. is, is that is that the idea is that sometimes people act as though everything is handed down and we just have to deal. Yeah, that they're powerless within it. And when I say it's like, listen, a lot of stuff just emerges because nobody's thinking about it. And if you think about it, you can change it. Like, Like, there will be no justice in the world except that which we create. Yeah. Like, you know, and all the injustice in the world, somebody made that up. Yeah. And like, when I grew up in church, like the idea that was that there were all these huge monolithic forces that created the world as it is, and there's nothing you can do about them. Yeah, and I, I guess, never related to that, I, I, especially if you had this youth group feeling this this thing that you have about. Yeah, I mean, that's it became incredibly hard for me to believe in God right, because, when when I became a good minister because I was like. If I preach it this way, 10 people come down the aisle. If I preach it this other way, 50 people come down the aisle. Is it the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or is it me? Mm-hmm. Like if, if they play the music softly behind me, it'll change the tone of the, you know. And yeah. you just go like, this is all, this is all, we're making all this happen. Yeah. And so, you know, you say, well, well, so now you don't use music to manipulate people. I'd be like, no, I use it all the time to manipulate people. I just tell them like, yeah. I'm going to play this song because it's going to put us in this kind of a mood. Yeah. And like, I think that'll feel good. I think it'll feel if good. It doesn't to, like, let me know. We're, yeah. And we're trying to be better friends. And it's almost like as a married couple, like you go like, hey, I, I'm going to light these candles and yeah. I'm going to put on this music because I think it'll make us want to have sex with each other. And <laughs> I would like that to happen. <laughs> yeah. And you go like, that's so manipulative. And I go like, yeah, okay. But like, yeah. do you want to be manipulated? And you go like, right. yes, I do. And okay, right. let's do it. Right. Totally. And so for me, the idea <laughs> of, right. of figuring, of thinking about how you want your life to be or how you want your relationship to be and being intentional about it. Yeah. That's, that's maybe the only, that's the, like in every discipleship relationship or in every mentoring relationship, you know, discipleship is what I used to call it. Mentoring is what I call it now in every, it's, I find that I'm only ever saying the same thing. And that is like, okay, that thing, like, what can we do about that? How can we, Yeah. how can we, how can we apply ourselves to changing it? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That's 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 and like it's literally all I've got. No, it's it's it I think it deeply I love to hear the way you articulate it and I think it deeply mirrors what drives us as well in the work is sort of that conversation of well what would you do to solve it? How would you fix it? Yeah. What would it look like if you were queen of the world? Yeah. You know, and and um we're able had and I think there's something we 
something about ownership, you know, and, and power that comes from believing that I can have a difference in my own life and yeah. that I can do something. And then if we create the spaces for that, I think that's the work. It's, for me, it's just creating the space for that to happen with legitimacy. Um, that's the work. Yeah, that's the work. And within ourselves as well. And I, yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I, so like... Aside from me pushing microphones back and forth in your face all the time because mm-hmm. I have such a jacked up situation here, mm-hmm. um, I hope this actually like does this feel like a conversation to you? Yeah, no, it does. I, it, yeah. it had took me. I've never we've never done this before, so it took me a minute. But yeah, it totally does. Right. Like, what I mean is like, you know, there are microphones, and I'll play this for some other people. But like, I, like this is just the conversation I would have had if you would have just come to have a cup of coffee. No, it really yeah. feels. It's a great. That's conversation. great. Yeah. Had? No, I was gonna say like, like I've, you know, like. Like making a podcast is making something. It's exciting to make things. And like I've thought about it before. Like it would just be kind of fun to, you know, just give it a shot, just try it. But I've always been like, I don't know. Like how do you, how do you just keep dialogue going for You're really you know? That, yeah. And they're just fantastic. Yeah. And people can learn about design impact through the oh, website. Oh, that'd be great. And yeah. like, but like they they would really get a picture. They would see other projects and all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, on yeah. our website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that stuff. Okay, so on I, there. yeah, I'll all put that I'll put that I'll put that. Is there anything else I should like? Is there a book no. I should? I should tell people that, like, if, if there was one book that, that somebody wanted to read about this kind of stuff, what would be the book that you go, like, if you're if this conversation piqued your interest, is there some book uh, that you go, like, this is a great book about? I mean, the, the one that always jumps to my head, like, if you're just interested in, like, what is human-centered design, yeah. how does it get applied in social systems, um, there's, it's, it's a little dated, maybe, like, 10 years old, but Changed by Design by Tim Brown. It's just a good like yeah. overview. like overview intro uh, to it um, with, with lots of examples, yeah, that sort of thing. And so I think that's a good like it, it, from that perspective, that's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so I'll put all that stuff on on the website, cool. great, and that'll be a good thing. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, it's really lovely to see you again. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you so yeah. much. All right, that was me and Kate and Ramsey. Hope you dug it. If you want to find out more about Design Impact, it's d-impact.org. Or you can go to the you can go to barcampola.org and it'll be on the on the notes for this podcast. Um, and if you go to barcampola.org for anything, for counseling, for coaching, for to, to, to support the chaplaincy work, to find out about having me do a wedding or a funeral for you, whatever you come for, send me an email. Go to the contact me and and tell me what you want more of or less of on this podcast. Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me who you are. Um, It means a lot to feel connected. Um, And I love the people that are on the Facebook page and I I lurk on that Facebook page and check it out. And that's exciting to me too. But you know what? An email, that's my social media. So go ahead and email me and let me know what's going on out there. It will be beautiful to hear from you. It will be beautiful for you to hear from me and the gang on the next Humanize Me next time. I'll see you then. For more information about the work of Bar Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org. Hey, you could be larger than life.
可。